Welcome to the School Psych Podcast, where we are learning brains and growing hearts. I'm your host, Ivana Luki. This podcast is meant to be a resource for caregivers and school staff, or really just anyone interested in the psychology of learning. Before we jump into this week's episode, just a small caveat. Although I work for a local school division, this podcast is a personal project, and it's unaffiliated with said school division. With that being said, let's jump into this week's episode. Welcome to episode two of the School Psych Podcast. The title of this episode is, What Does a School Psych Actually Do? This is one of those things where when you're really close to the situation, it's kind of hard to zoom out to be able to explain it to someone. And I decided the best way to start is to tell you what a school psychologist doesn't do. I promise we'll get to the good stuff. But first, we're going to start by clearing up some really common misconceptions. Next episode gets more into the specifics about what kinds of challenges a school psychologist can help with, but this episode is a good one for anyone who's about to work with a school psychologist, whether you're a parent or a caregiver or a teacher, or you just kind of always wondered what the heck we do. (laughs) And this is a great episode for anyone who thinks they might want to become a school psychologist one day. In this episode, you might hear me use the term school division quite a bit. Where I live, that's the term that we use to refer to a geographic collection of schools. Where you're from, you might think of this as a school district or a school board. So just keep that in mind as you're listening. Okay, so often when I tell people I'm a school psychologist, the first thing I hear is, oh yeah, like a guidance counselor. I totally get it. Uh, The word psychology in school psychologist and counseling, those two things seem like they would be kind of similar. Plus, school psychologists tend to have a handful of schools on our caseload, and move from building to building, which means we're not always as visible as we'd like to be. And if you aren't seeing someone around, how are you supposed to know what it is that they're doing with their time? School psychologists work with a lot of school counselors, and there's definitely some overlap between those two roles. Well, I'm here to tell you that they're different. That's right. They're two different jobs. A school counselor is a teacher who was ideally able to do some extra training or education in the field of counseling and then moved into that role. Whereas school psychs, we didn't need to, well, most of us didn't start as teachers. We have graduate training in the areas of psychology and education, but again, we aren't teachers. School counselors are super busy. They're often doing one-on-one counseling or running groups or they're working in a co-teaching model, but usually they're dedicated to that one building and they know the needs of their student population very well and they're more enmeshed in the community of that school. They're more well-known. Unfortunately, because school psychologists are typically moving from building to building, it's hard for us to be as well-known as uh, someone who is at the school every single day. And because they know their student population so well, As school psychs, we really rely on our school counselors and our school teams to let us know which students we maybe should have a role with and what is direct work with a student going to look like. Is it going to be school counselor who does that or the school psych or the school social worker or some combination? But to tie this up, the main difference is that a school counselor has a background as a teacher, whereas school psychologists, our training is more clinical. Okay, now that we've established there's a difference between a school psychologist and a school counselor, let's touch on the difference between a school psychologist and an educational psychologist. Because, hey, those two terms sound really similar. 
Basically, an educational psychologist is a researcher, someone who goes into the school system or maybe preschool and really looks at how children learn. They often work for universities teaching, maybe in the faculty of education, or sometimes they're working for a private firm. And this research is super valuable. And a lot of times school psychologists refer to this research when we are making recommendations about best practices, whereas school psychologists can and do conduct research, but we're primarily known as practitioners kind of that more direct work helping students and families and school teams. We do work in the school system as well, but school psychologists also might work in other mental health settings like in the hospital or maybe in a treatment center and sometimes for a private practice. In conclusion, that main difference being that an educational psychologist is there's more of a research focus and for a school psychologist, we're primarily known as practitioners. All right, last tangent about what a school psychologist doesn't do, I promise. School psychologists aren't therapists. That might feel kind of confusing because haven't you heard about psychologists doing therapy and didn't I say that we do counseling? Yes, absolutely. And depending on what your caseload looks like, maybe if if you have more schools in the middle years or in high school, you might be doing quite a bit more counseling. But overall, when I think about our day-to-day, counseling is not as huge a piece of the pie as it would be for a therapist uh, who works in the community outside of the school system. We do do counseling. We can do counseling. It is a part of our job. But for therapists, that's a huge chunk of their job. I'll probably do a separate episode on how valuable therapy can be in counseling and maybe how to access it. But for today, I just wanted to differentiate that school psychologists aren't therapists. Okay, I think we've covered our bases for what a school psych doesn't do. Let's get into what a school psych actually does. Like a lot of professions, school psychologists have a set of professional practice guidelines And here in Canada, the Canadian Psychological Association, the CPA, develops those guidelines. You can definitely check out their website if you want to read more about that. But I'm going to try to explain what we do a bit more off the cuff because that's the whole point of this podcast. I want this to be more of a conversation rather than a presentation. In a nutshell, school psychologists have expertise about how children learn and how they behave. And we try our darndest to use that knowledge to help students and their families and school teams. But how do we do that? In education, we often use a triangle to illustrate certain concepts. We're going to roll with that. Please picture a triangle. We're going to divide it into three sections, your top section, your middle section, and your bottom section. That bottom section, which is just going to look like a very large, I guess, trapezoid, is where we're going to start. Universal services. Why would it be called universal services? Universal means relevant for or pertaining to the most amount of people. So that is the section of our services that reaches, and not just school psychologists, all school clinicians, that reaches the most amount of people, the most amount of students, the most amount of teachers, parents, and community. 
It could look like professional development. We might be putting on workshops for our schools, or often we're putting on workshops for the entire division. One example I can think of is if there is an academic assessment that school psychologists know really well and we administer all the time, but it's actually the kind of test that teachers could be using with their own students, we might put on a training. And so teachers come from all over the division to learn how to use this test for their students. Another example would be sometimes there's just hot topics that come up in education, and one of them right now is trauma. Everybody, and rightfully so, wants to know how do we support our students who have histories of complex trauma. So school psychologists, alongside our school social worker colleagues, might put on a workshop for how to understand how trauma impacts the brain And how do we set up our learning spaces so that it becomes a safe place for those students? Another kind of service that fits into this base of the triangle, universal services, would be community outreach. Sometimes school psychologists might work with other teachers or school clinicians to put on info nights at their schools to teach parents about generalized anxiety and What are some strategies that we can use at home to help our kids cope with anxiety or stress? Just a side note, those presentations put on by school clinicians in the evening, those hours aren't usually compensated, and not everyone's in the position to be able to provide those opportunities all the time. And if they are, there's a good chance that that topic has been coming up left, right, and center in that building, and that sure, it's going to be really helpful to the community, But that school clinician might think, oh, this is going to save some time if I can answer a lot of these questions up front. Hence the term universal services. We're trying to reach as many people as possible in a preventative, proactive way. Okay, what else fits under universal services? This might be a good section in which to talk about parts of our job that we spend time on that don't necessarily seem like they're intended to reach people or help people, but they're parts of our job that build our capacity as school psychologists. And so because they make us better school psychs, I'm going to fit it here under universal services because the better we are as school psychs, the more people we can help. For example, we have committees. There's divisional committees and clinical committees, and school psychologists often serve on these. In our division, I'm on one called Assistive Tech, and all of the people who attend those monthly meetings, our goal is to be understanding how to best support our students' learning needs with technology. Supervision also fits under universal services. We all had to start somewhere. As baby psychologists, we all had supervisors when we were doing our practicums, or they might be called residency or internships different terms all over the country, but we all had to have supervisors to help us go through some of those learning experiences. And that is a part of what we do now as school psychologists in the division. We supervise grad students so that they can one day join us in the field. Okay, I'm not sure if this fits under universal services, but I'm putting it here because it's something that we spend our time on, and honestly, I'm not sure where else to put it. But we often attend discipline meetings or clinical team meetings. These meetings are where we come together as a psychology discipline and discuss topics that are a part of our everyday practice. We might go over some case studies. Maybe someone is really struggling with how to support a family in their building and they want some advice from their colleagues. 
Or maybe we need to talk about how we're programming for students with intellectual disabilities. We might partner with other clinical disciplines for these meetings when topics are really overlapping a lot, like speech language pathology and psychology are often having conversations about reading development or, oh my goodness, during the pandemic, school psychology and school social work often have meetings together to talk about not only how are we going to support our students' mental health through this, but how are we going to help our staff? And then we have clinical team meetings where all of the clinical disciplines that could exist in one division or district come together to talk about things that are relevant for all of us. Another kind of work that fits under universal services is crisis work. This is when a tragedy has occurred in a school and it's much too large to manage for that immediate school team, clinicians, and administration. So the school division will deploy clinicians to go support at that school. They kind of drop everything they're doing to support the students and the staff going through that crisis at the building where the tragedy has occurred. Lastly, research also falls under universal services. Some school psychologists conduct research outside of their scope as a school psych practitioner, and they might be publishing in educational journals, similarly to educational psychologists. But in general, school psychologists have great knowledge about how to collect solid data about children's learning and children's behavior. School psychology might be consulted when the division wants to collect data about whether or not a certain mental health initiative is working well. Whether we're conducting research or not, school psychs should still be apprised of the current research in our field. Things in education are changing all the time. I constantly hear about the metaphor of a pendulum swinging back and forth. You know, now we're doing math this way, and now we're teaching math that way. We're not just making recommendations out of thin air. When school psychologists are making suggestions for school teams or for parents, yes, we're using our experience, but we're also relying on evidence to make those suggestions. I think that about covers universal services for what a school psych actually does. Let's move on to that middle trapezoid of the triangle. Wow, I just, I'm naming a bunch of shapes here. This must be getting very confusing. But basically, we covered the bottom. We covered the part that reaches the most people. Now we're moving on to the middle section of the triangle called targeted services. I actually think this part will be pretty quick to explain. The first thing that comes to mind under targeted services is student services meetings. This looks a little different in every school, but basically it's a coming together of all the support people in a building to talk about how we're supporting students with complex needs. It's kind of our bird's eye view of all the pockets of needs in a school and how we're addressing those needs. We do talk about individual students with complex needs where we have, we need more perspectives than just you know, one clinician, we need occupational therapy, speech language, and school psychology and school social work, all to think about how we can support those students. But why I put student services meetings under this section is because when we have that bird's eye view of a school, we can see those pockets of needs and we can see where there are handfuls of similar needs. What I mean by that is sometimes we have a handful of students who are struggling with social skills. Maybe they're in the same class or maybe this is across grade levels. And we think, okay, instead of having 
a clinician open to every single one of those students, maybe a clinician or a school counselor can work together to do some group work with some of those students. That's a perfect segue into the next kind of work that falls under targeted services, and that's group interventions. That's just a fancy way of saying group work, so let's just keep it simple. Group work is when we're supporting exactly what it sounds like, a group of students. That might be a classroom, or it might be maybe a handful of students, or it might be supporting students through group consultation with their teachers. Classroom lessons and small groups, that's some of my favorite work as a school psych, although we don't get to be doing it all the time. It's the best. You get to team with adults and you get to meet some really awesome students that you otherwise would not have gotten to know in your role as a school psych. And there's really no limit to the kinds of group work that school clinicians can be helping with. A super fun lesson that is kind of a one-off that we get to maybe do in early years classrooms like kindergarten or grade one is personal space camp. It's based on the book by Julia Cook called Personal Space Camp, and built into the book are activities that help the main character understand the concept of personal space. So you can kind of do those activities with your class if you have some of the materials like hula hoops and make the concept of personal space a little more concrete. When we're working in groups, like maybe we have a handful of students in a friendship club, or we have a group of students wanting to work on their self-regulation, like what's happening in the brain and body when we're feeling big feelings and how do we cope with that? This kind of work is so preventative and proactive because it's skill building rather than waiting for problems to come up for kids. Okay, the last thing I can think of that falls under targeted services is professional development. But rather than providing a presentation to an entire school, we might provide a workshop for a group of educational professionals that's more specific and relevant for the work that they do. One really great example that's coming to mind is in one of our schools, we have many students using assistive and augmentative communication devices or technology. So the speech-language pathologist organized a workshop for the educational assistants who support those students so we could run through many of the apps that those students are going to be using on a daily basis. Targeted services are a great way to address pockets of needs in a building in a time-efficient way. Let's move on to our last section of what a school psych actually does. Now we're at the top of the triangle. It's called intensive services. You're probably starting to understand that the bottom of the triangle was the most surface area, and that's the services that we try to reach the most amount of people. And then we moved from general to specific by narrowing the focus and targeting groups of people. Now we're at the top of the triangle where we narrow the focus even more, where we're working with individuals. This is where school psychs spend the majority of our time. This is the kind of work that is only carried out by school psychologists. What I mean by that is, well, in targeted services, when I was talking about how much fun and how much I love doing the classroom programs and lessons, that can be done by other educational professionals. Whereas work like psych assessments or interpreting cognitive scores, stuff like that can only be done by a qualified psychologist. So if a school division or district is stretched really thin in school psych services, this top of the triangle is where they're going to want us to be concentrating the most of our time, if not all. 
the students who are officially on our caseload, a lot of the work that we would be doing to support these students would be falling under intensive services. We might be doing psych assessments with them. We might be doing ongoing consultation about diagnoses that came out of a psych assessment or just consultation about an area that falls within our expertise, like ADHD. We might be attending planning meetings for these students to help set realistic goals and what are some strategies that can be used to achieve those goals. We often create connections with these students' families and support their caregivers. We often act as an interagency liaison, which is just a fancy way of saying that we have conversations with other professionals involved in these students' lives. So that could be a treatment center or a therapist or a psychiatrist. Maybe it's a disability services worker, etc. Sometimes we train teachers or educational assistants on technology that would benefit the students' learning. Sometimes we provide counseling for these students or other kinds of direct work like skill practice. Counseling could be an ongoing role that we have with the student or it might have been like a crisis counseling situation where we met with a student one or a handful of times and then worked with the immediate school team to do a transfer of services to make sure that that student is going to have more of an ongoing mental health support in the building. This might be a good time to mention risk threat assessments. Some school divisions call them threat assessments, some divisions call them risk assessments, some call them needs assessment, but basically this is a process where we are responding to a critical and dangerous incident that has occurred in a building, like maybe a student has brought a weapon to school. School psychs are not the only team member that participate in a risk threat assessment, but it is something that falls under the triangle of intense services. Psych assessments are a whole big thing, and it's definitely going to require its own episode on this podcast to explain. They take a lot of time, they're really in-depth, and they're really comprehensive. Right now, I'm just going to quickly summarize what a psych assessment is to give you an idea. It's a process that we do where we collect many different data points to give us more information about a student's learning or maybe their cognitive development or their emotions or their behavior or their academic skills. They may or may not lead to diagnosis, but the whole point is that we're going to use this information to better inform our programming for that student at school. If a student has autism spectrum disorder or a specific learning disorder or ADHD or sometimes all of the above, we are definitely going to need to take that into consideration in how we're supporting that student's learning. No matter what our work is with these students on our caseload, the documentation that we have to keep is significant. Pretty much every point of contact. That means anytime we meet with the student, anytime we have a phone call with a parent, anytime we attend one of their planning meetings in the building. Also, most divisions require year-end reporting or some even require mid-year reporting where we summarize all of our work with a student in that time period, whether it was direct or indirect like phone calls with a parent. This is called continuous recording and it's just brief notes on those points of contact like talk to so-and-so on the phone today about this, met with so-and-so today, continued work about anxiety. Something I should mention about students who are on our caseload for whom are providing intensive services or even some of the students who are on our caseload but we're providing something that's more of a targeted service like they're a part of a group that we're running at lunchtime. Anyways, all the students on our caseload, these are students that we have to have parental consent to work with. 
meaning the caregiver for this child has to have understood and been informed about our role with them and given permission for that. The better our connection and the stronger our relationship is with caregivers, the more effective our work with that student is going to be. Sometimes our work with these students lasts six months to a year, and sometimes our work with the student is so ongoing that we follow them from school to school and we have been working with them for 12 years. If I don't wrap this up now, I'll probably talk forever. I think we're done talking about intensive services, and I think we're done talking about what a school psych actually does. Oh my god, I did not think I was going to be able to talk about what we do for over 20 minutes, but apparently there's lots of things that we do, and so here we are. Thank you so much for joining us on episode two. Do you have a child or a student for whom you think might benefit from school psych services? Next week's episode is on what kinds of challenges a school psychologist can help with, so tune in to learn more about that. If you have any questions or topics of interest you want me to cover, please email the podcast at schoolpsychpodcast at gmail.com. If you find the podcast helpful, please rate and review wherever you listen so others can find it. Thanks for tuning in and catch you next time on the School Psych Podcast. Podcast.